In the last episode, we discussed the connection between water and Kabbalah soil. But we all know that Torah has been compared to water. What is the depth of this connection? Welcome to another episode of En Yaakov Beyond the Story. We will start with a statement made in Maseches Tainis' Davzayin Amud and then we'll continue with the story that is there on the same page, on the same subject. The Gemara says, Rabbi Baridi is asking, why is Torah compared to water? In the same way that water is fluid and it will flow down and will only stop flowing once it reaches the bottom spot. The same is for Torah. That Torah will only rest and stick to a person who is humble. Rabbi Yeshaya is asking why was Torah compared to these three liquids which is Bemaim, Uveyain, Uvechalav for water. Um, Torah has been compared to water, wine, and milk. Um, then the Gemara brings different psukim to prove that there is a comparison between Torah and these three things. To tell you that in the same way that these three liquids are stored in the simplest of vessels, Torah will also be sustained within someone who makes himself lowly, somebody who is humble. So, in other words, so far we have that the Torah is compared to water because water is fluid and only stops. Um, and rests in a place that is low, so is Torah being uh, sustained within a person who makes himself low, meaning someone who is humble. But then the Gemara adds now another layer of this, that not only water, but also uh, milk and wine. And uh, because these three liquids are stores in simple vessels, whether it is glass, or uh, wood, or clay, earthware, but uh, nothing fancy. So is Torah being stored and remained by someone who makes himself humble. So um, it's interesting that uh, these uh, three liquids, you know, when you compare something to three different things that are very different, we uh, spoke about the last episode, the difference between water and wine, and now we're telling you, well, Torah is compared to water and wine, which both of them are so different from one another. Uh, we must say that it's not the etzem of the thing that's being compared. It's not the Torah itself that's being compared to these three um, liquids. But it is aspects of the Torah. That each drink represents a different aspect of the Torah. Ben Ishchai writes in Ben, ben Yoyada that water is the Torah Shebichsav, milk is Torah Shebalpeh. Water is Torah Shebichsav because water is accessible to all, is free, and everybody is able to learn Chumash and Torah Shebichsav. 
On the other hand, milk is a little more uh, exquisite, it's somewhat less accessible and, and, and more costly. That will be the Treshe Balpeh. Now, the most exquisite of all these three drinks is the wine, and wine represents Pnimiya Satoira, the Soide Satoira, as we have discussed many times in this podcast, that Yayin is the same gematria as soid, which means secrets. So we see that, in fact, when we say toire is compared to water, to wine, we're not talking about the etzim of the toire. Toire has been compared to fire as well. I mean, fire and water, you don't have two bigger opposites than this. And then we say toire is compared to water, toire is compared to fire. When we compare toire to certain um, materials, we actually compare a specific aspect of the toire to this material. Now, what is Compared to water, what in Torah is compared to water? To understand this better, the Gemara continues with the following story. It's somewhat of a famous story, but uh, once again, we're not here just to tell the story, but to explain it. So the, Torah, the, the Gemara continues with the story, The daughter of the Caesar told Rabbi Yeshua ben Hanania, who uh, happens to have been... Um, V- very ugly person. So the princess is vain and she asks the following question. How could you have such a beautiful wisdom stored in such an ugly vessel? In other words, you are so smart and yet you are so ugly. So Rabbi Shabbat Hananiah is not taking offense. He's giving her an answer. And the answer, he tells her, Your father, where does he store his wine? Does he store his wine in um, earthware, in, in clay um, barrels? Where else, she says, where else are we going to store wine? That, that's how you store wines, in barrels. You are rich, he says. You should store your wine in silver and golden, um, golden vessels. You should have some gold barrels where you should store your wine. Now, of course, Rashi tells us the obvious that he was telling her as a remez, saying, what do you mean something exquisite? could be stored in, in a simple vessel. Your wine that is so special, of course, the wine of the Caesar is not just regular wine. He's, he's definitely had a nice, nice uh, cave and the sommelier taking care of his wine. And yet, he stores it in simple vessels. So then why are you asking me? But yet, she actually took it um, literally and she went to her father and she told her in the En Yaakov actually it says that the father asks her why are you telling me this? So she says well because this is what Rabbi Yeshua ben Hananya told me. So, she asked, so he asked her why did he tell you that? So she tells him of the whole discussion. But nonetheless, even after hearing that, he went and he took the wine and he put it in gold and silver vessels, 
and that wine turned sour, turned into vinegar. Some of Hashem are saying, well, why was he even listening? Of course, the easy answer is to say, well, when you're a small princess, you get your way even if it doesn't make sense. But uh, again, Ben Ishchai is suggesting that his most expensive, exquisite wine is wine that he used to serve to Avodah Zorah. So then he thought that perhaps it makes sense that his most expensive wine that he serves to Avodah Zorah should indeed, for covet for his Avodah Zorah, to honor it, he should store it in, in gold. So he listened. But then when the wine turned sour, his servants came to tell him, this is what happened to your wine. He tells his daughter, and this is the Girsa of the Talmud, of the Gemara, not of the Enyakov, because as I say, in Enyakov, this exchange took place before. told me, she says, Rabbi Shaman Hananiah told me to, uh, gave me this advice. Kiriyuhu, they called, they summoned Rabbi Shem Hanani to the Caesar. Why did you say this to my daughter? Look what happened to my wine. I just answer in the same vein of the way she asked me. That's the question she asked me. That's the answer I gave. So the Caesar is saying, so are you saying that you are so smart because you are so ugly? They are handsome chachamim who actually know a lot. They're knowledgeable. Answers Rabbi Shemel Hananiah, he avusanu. If they will be ugly, they would be even smarter. I will explain this um, based on, on, on both, on Rashi and Toisfes. Rashi explains this last answer of Rabbi Yishua ben Hananiah by saying, if these Chachamim that are handsome would be ugly, they would even be smarter. And he says, why? Rashi says, Someone who is handsome has a difficult time being humble. And we have just learned earlier in the Gemara that the Torah is only miskayim, the Torah is sustained by someone who makes himself humble. So if he's not humble, he will forget his Torah. So therefore, if he is handsome and is um, busy with it, that gives him some kind of gaiva. So therefore, he's not going to be as smart. So it comes out from Rashi, is of course... A person's exterior appearance cannot have on its own any effect on his knowledge, on his wisdom. I mean, there, are such, there is such a thing as Chochmas Apanim. There is such a thing as Chochmas Adam Ponov. But I am sure we're not talking about physical traits in terms of beauty or, or the opposite. We, we are talking about how one's um, inner traits could be visible to a tzaddik by looking at his face. But how do we say over here, if the chacham would be ugly, he would be smarter, you know, looks are something that one is born with. It doesn't require much effort. How could we then attribute wisdom to it? 
How is Rabbi Shemel Hananiah giving such an answer? So Rashi explains, it is not about its looks, his looks. It's about how he behaves because of it. If he is um, considered and haughty because of his looks, so then, yeah, he's not going to be as smart as he could have been had, it be, had he been humble. Toysfis says, Yavusanu says, Pirush, if they would despise their looks, in other words, if they, they, they don't pay attention to the looks, they will be greater chachamim. And that's, in fact, the way the Maharshal settled this question by saying, it is not about the looks, because it's impossible to say that the nature, the natural appearance of a person has an effect on his wisdom or in his studies. We must say that it is his temperament that will come as a result of his looks. But the way this story connects to the beginning of this sugya is again to reinforce, to validate the point that Torah requires humility. And if there is no humility, that Torah doesn't rest. Now, there is all kind of different things that could cause um, a person to be considered. And there is all kind of different things that could help a person be uh, humble. And perhaps looks could play a role in this. But again, the main point over here is about the need for humility, and in the lotion that I used earlier, the need for bitul in order to be able to properly learn Torah and keep the Torah stored into us. And that brings us back to the earlier statement of the Gemara. The Torah is being compared to so many things. Now, I gave you one vision of what aspect of the Torah is compared to water, milk, or wine. But let's look the way Chesidus explains it. Chesidus explains that when we compare Torah to water, it's not the etzem of the Torah that's compared to water. We're talking about the idea of water, which is, as we mentioned, no taste, humble, simple, fluid and keeps on going down and only stops when it's lowly. The comparison to Torah Water to Torah is to tell us that Torah requires bitul. Just like the story of Bishabah Hananiah also um, indicates. Now, why is it? Why is it that Torah requires bitul in order to really be able to receive it and keep it? We don't find this in any other chokhmah, in any other science. That you first have to have bitul in order to be able to uh, study and understand. On the contrary, it seems that in order to properly learn something, you really want to get to the bottom of it. And for you to get to the bottom of it, you need to think, you need to have critical thinking, you need to actually be a mitzvah. So why is it that Torah requires you to have bitul? Of course, ask questions and so on in a quest to understand, but without the yesh, just with the bitul. The Alter Rebbe tells us in Tanya 
that the effect of Torah is to connect with the infinite. Torah is Hashem's Chochmah. Hashem himself is infinite. Now, what happens when we learn Torah? That Torah becomes part of us. It assimilates in our own brains, becomes our brain cells. Our Chochmah becomes Hashem's Chochmah. We are unifying with Hashem through Limud Torah in a way that is not comparable in any other yichud of two things that are so polar opposites, gvul and bligvul, our limited being with the unlimited wisdom of Hashem become one. How could they become one? If not by us first nullifying ourselves. When we nullify, our, nullify ourselves, we get out of those limitations, this gvul, and therefore we become somewhat undefined, and that makes room for us to actually connect with the Eivishter. So in other words, you could learn Torah, but the desired effect of Limuda Torah, which is the connection with Hashem, is not going to happen if you don't have Bitul. Now we could understand why when we dive in Shemon Esre, at the end of Shemon Esre, there is one sentence that we say, My soul will be as dust to all, Open my heart in your Torah. It seems that in order for our heart to be open to Hashem's Torah, the prerequisite is as we mentioned before. The idea is not your Torah. Your Torah means that we're making here a reference to Hashem's Chochmah. We are linking the Torah not just to a great wisdom, but to Hashem's wisdom. And Hashem being the infinite, and for our heart, which is limited, to be open and a receptacle to this infinite Torah, it is necessary for us to first have bitul. When there is the nafshi then we become a kili to actually receive and take on, absorb the blikvul. You may ask, well, when we do mitzvahs, we also connect to Hashem. Mitzvahs, Mitzvah is connecting with Hashem. The difference is that Torah is what we had described as a Yichud Nifla as opposed to mitzvahs. We become a Merkava, we become a, a chariot to Hashem's will. In other words, when you also need to nullify yourself, you do mitzvahs with Kabbalah soil. But when you do mitzvahs with Kabbalah soil, you are becoming a vehicle through which Hashem reveals Himself. So that is still two separate things. There is you and there is the Gilo Elokuz that come through you practicing the mitzvah usually involving other objects. However, through Limud HaToyre, you become Mamesh, Yichud Niflo, you become one Mamesh with Hashem. That is why you need to have that concept of water. But then, there is another property of water that actually reinforces this idea. Water connects two things together. Water helps bond things together, right? Think of a, a dough. Flour, particles of flowers that are separated from one another. You put in some water, it becomes one dough that is all connected to one another. Same for gluing, for anything else. That idea of connecting and amalgamating, becoming one, that is the main property of water. Interesting. 
because we have described water as as a symbol of bitul and yes it's exactly that bitul that makes it possible for us to unify and connect with Hashem and become one. Now there is another aspect to water, another property. In addition to bitul allowing us to connect with Hashem in a yichud niflo that is uncomparable state of unity with the Eibishter through learning Torah that requires bitul there is the other side of it, is having Torah, allowing Torah to imbue every part of us. We are told that you must drink when you eat. And the need for drinking water at a time of your meal is in order for all your nutrients to travel through your body that water is what will take the nutrients of the food and allow it to then flow through the rest of our body. Torah that we learn could remain something that is very theoretic, could stay in our head. But if we learn Torah with bitul, if we learn Torah with water, then that would allow the Torah to go through every fiber of our being. Torah having an effect on every one of our limbs. And that is in addition to connecting our intellect with Hashem's intellect. But not only the intellect. Every part of our body, just like this is what happened to your food when you drink. There's a famous story that once someone came to the Rebbe Rashab and he told him, that he went through Shas four times. And the Rashab told him, and how many times did the Shas go through you? In other words, one could have learned a lot and yet derive some type of, um, maybe not a Gaiva, but definitely a Metzius, some Yeshus from his learning. That is in, in fact a proof that the Torah did not affect him. In the proper way. The aim is not only for us to learn Torah, to go through the Torah, but the aim is for the Torah to go through us. And for the Torah to go through us and travel through our body and really imbue and resides and rests within us, we need the water. We need the bitul. So by realizing how Torah isn't just another science, another wisdom, but it is Hashem's wisdom. And how great and infinite He is will help us realize how small we are and will help us have the necessary bitul to be able to really incorporate the Torah within us, become one with Hashem, and live a life of Torah rather than just a life with Torah.